Hello, and welcome to Wavelength by Resonance, a podcast where we aim to bring you the biggest news in tech from the last two weeks and what headlines to watch out for next. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to Wavelength by Resonance. You're joining us today in the basement of our home in Aldwych, a very cool temperature after the 40-degree highs of yesterday. Luckily, neither of us today here are on fire. And we're joined today again by the star of our very first pilot episode, Dan L. How you doing, Dan? Doing very well, Dan. It's a pleasure to be back with you, back by popular demand. Very much popular demand. Letters, emails, calls at all hours of the night. We just had to get him back. Fantastic. Let's get into our first story of the day. Let's go for it. First, let me play you all one of the more baffling audio clips to come out in recent months. The UK is passing some new legislation to make the internet safer for the younger generation. It's effectively a framework to protect internet users from scams, illegal content and anonymous abusers. But is it true it will impact freedom of expression? No, we put in legal protections in the 19th section. That was Nadine Doris, Minister for Digital, Culture, Media and Sport, doing her best AJ Tracy impression. Now, on a serious note, the online safety bill is a topic that we've previously covered, basically intended to guide platforms in protecting people from harmful content, and especially children, which obviously has meant the bill's become a bit of a political battleground. It does also, however, include provisions about legal but harmful content alongside the obvious restriction of terrorist material, hate speech, you know, all of that really nasty stuff you don't want on your platform. Now, it was in its final stages and due to be discussed in Parliament last week. It's currently still at the report stage, which means that MPs can discuss amendments. And it was originally expected to clear the Commons later this month before going to the House of Lords. Yes, but due to recent political events with the Prime Minister resigning, it's now been put on hold until a new Prime Minister is put in place. And this instability is providing a chance for modification that might not have been there otherwise, which leads some detractors of the current government to decry the delay, viewing it as them putting party over country. God, politicians always fighting, aren't they? Yeah, so one example of this was Kemi Badenoch, who recently dropped out of the race to be the Tory party leader. She tweeted that the bill being dropped from government business for next week was the right move. She described it as being in no fit state to become law, and said that if she was elected to become Prime Minister, which we now know she will not be, mm. that she would ensure that the bill does not overreach. She also described the bill as legislating for hurt feelings, which very much upset Nadine Dory. <laughs> I wonder if her feelings are hurt right now. I wonder if they are. <laughs> So we just quoted Kemi Badenoch on that, obviously a government voice, but even outside government, views are pretty conflicted about how needed and how well designed the bill is. For example, the CEO of Index on Censorship, that's Ruth Smith, says it's a fundamentally broken bill. And she's basically saying that it gives tech executives too much power and that it makes the UK the first country to actually break end-to-end -end encryption, which obviously is a bit worrying in terms of privacy concerns. And that it even might force the deletion of value evidence for victims of some of these crimes. On the other side though, just to uh, even things up a bit, we've got Andy Burrows, who's the head of the NSPCC, who's saying it's a crucial piece of legislation, that it's vital to force these companies' hand and deliver on the government's duty to keep vulnerable people safe. And uh, for anyone else who's been following Nadine Doris's TikTok, they might have seen Rio Ferdinand endorsing the bill. So make of that what you will. 
And in terms of what we're looking at going forward, regulation in the UK is just going full steam ahead right now. We're seeing bills being passed, laws being changed in all various aspects of life, but especially the digital and tech scene. For example, the, the government's data protection and digital information bill has its critics, like the Open Rights Group, who are saying that it might turn the UK into a global data laundering centre, which sounds exciting. But it basically means just to look out for increased scrutiny on the wording and emphasis of upcoming bills as ministerial priorities change, as prime ministerial dictates change how new laws are shaped. So one way of looking at it is that what we're seeing right now is a more reactive policy approach from the government than we've seen recently, particularly in regard to digital policy. So this online safety bill is likely to just be the start if it passes in terms of content moderation legislation. Many people believe that big tech and especially social media companies have had it all the way for too long with too little oversight, so we'll see how that goes. The legislation basically tells these giants, which include Meta and Google, some of the biggest companies in the world, mm. that it's their responsibility to meet the aims of the bill, giving extra power to Ofcom as a regulator to moderate their performance. Watch out for any upcoming fines if the bill passes, as failure to conform means fines of up to £18 million, or 10% of their annual global turnover, whichever is higher. Now, Dan, I know we always end up saying that's a lot of money, but to me, 18 million does not seem like a lot of money. And for the kind of companies they're targeting, it seems like none of them are going to hit that and all of them would hit 10% of the annual global turnover figure. So surely it's a bit of an interesting provision there. I suppose that's true, but then maybe for some smaller companies, smaller on the scale of only being worth hundreds of millions rather, yeah. than, rather than hundreds <laughs> of billions, that might hit them harder. Yeah, exactly. So in a nutshell, expect more bickering and reviews right up until the online safety bill becomes law, with the, these two sides of pro-free speech, online privacy, battling it out with pro-content moderation people in the media right up until the final day. Next up, in a quite an interesting dichotomy, BT's striking and Amazon are hiring. Amazon has announced its plans to create 8,000 new permanent jobs in the UK, and this already adds to existing Amazon headcount growth. Last year, the company said that it planned to create 10,000 new jobs, and it still overshot that target by about 15,000. So before you know it, everyone you know is going to be working for Amazon, clearly based on uh, extrapolating that data. Definitely seems like it. In other news on the job front, the Communication Workers Union, the CWU, has said that over 40,000 BT workers will go on strike. A lot of people. At, at the end of July and start of August, which is the first strike for BT staff in 35 years, with BT membership voting last month in the affirmative for the strike. The union bosses have said that the BT's proposed £1,500 pay rise was not enough to help staff deal with the cost of living crisis. And this is interesting because we've got a lot of movement on the union front uh, across all sectors in the UK. The Communication Workers Union, who are obviously handling the BT strike, have also announced that the Royal Mail will be striking sometime at the end of this month, start of August, which uh, is, seems to be a bad time for people relying on their broadband or their mail. So, you know, hope you don't have to talk to anyone in the next month or so. And this applies to banking too, with Santander unions negotiating a pay rise, the lowest paid and customer facing staff, and the NHS also getting a pay rise recently. All of these figures hovering around 1500. And also following the RMT strikes that all Londoners and indeed anyone on a train will be familiar with. And again, this all happens in the context of the tech skills shortage in the UK, which is increasing the demand for certain types of employees. So while we might see frontline employees at BT in the 
like striking because maybe they're not getting taken care of. Higher paid office workers in more tech skilled roles are higher in demand, maybe not having to fight for these raises as much. So if you take AI for instance, research from Sambanova Systems has found that 59% of IT managers are reporting that they've got the money to hire additional resources for their teams, but 82% said that actually hiring this staff is challenging. Even 53% that keeping them is a challenge too. So the labour market is in a bit of a strange duality right now. This is particularly relevant to Amazon because in the US they're worrying that they might be running out of staff to hire. And, you know, this brings into question the whole cost of living crisis in general. Amazon might be bringing new jobs, but how well are they going to pay? And Amazon isn't alone in the new jobs that it's creating. KPMG, Accenture, and funnily enough, BT are all announcing similar policies. And to the latter, that might explain why they're striking. If there's money for new hires, why aren't they uh, compensating the existing ones? Absolutely, that definitely seems to be the way lots of people are looking at it. Just more generally, the workers manning essential services are struggling to make ends meet, while digital office workers find themselves in higher demand than ever. It seems very likely, at least, that union activity will only increase as the crisis worsens. Absolutely. Next topic is the Log4j vulnerability. The Cyber Safety Review Board have labelled it as an endemic vulnerability that could last 10 years or more. And for anyone not familiar with the CSRB, given that it's their inaugural report, it's basically a part of the Department for Homeland Security in the US, so pretty big deal that. Now, cybersecurity professionals will already be pretty familiar with what Log4j is, but for the rest of our audience, it's an open source logging library for anyone using Java, the popular programming language. And it basically allows software developers to log various data within their application. And that's what logging libraries basically are. They, they send events from your application to a destination using APIs. And Java's most famous application is, of course, Minecraft, which is part of the crux of this problem in terms of the amount of people that will be affected by this. And that's between 2.8 and 4 million players per day. And that's just one particularly popular application running on Java at the moment. That is certainly a lot of people. <laughs> Log4j has been described by some expert commentators as the most significant computer vulnerability we've found in years. Oof. The reason for that is because it's frequently used in cloud servers and enterprise software used across industry and government. So if this flaw is not patched, it gives criminals, spies, and basically anyone with a decent programming mind easy access to internal networks, where they can potentially steal things like valuable data or plant malware or erase crucial information, steal credentials, install coin miners, things like that. They would be able to access everything from industrial control systems to web servers and consumer electronics. So really worrying. Yeah, it's pretty terrifying, isn't it? Because when you think about the amount of stuff in your business that might actually be running on Java, that's uh, maybe not one to think too hard about for some of us. Absolutely. <laughs> and in terms of predictions, watching out for where the media is going, watch out for businesses transitioning away from Java as a programming language or working out ways to patch this vulnerability. Though obviously the report states that that is going to be quite a difficult task. And watch out for any further stories of major breaches exploiting this vulnerability. 
And given the length of the ongoing issue predicted by the CSRB, it seems that they at least take quite a pessimistic view. Now this will definitely affect how Microsoft uh, in general manages Minecraft, at least in the short term. So potentially watch out for warnings to users and that kind of thing, maybe other popular gaming applications using Java. And in general, Dan, like, this might foster a general distrust of Java as a programming language if this is gonna last the next 10 years. That's a long time in tech. Absolutely, 10 years is an eternity. Our next topic is a bit of a speedy one, and that's the UK drone superhighway. The UK government's given the okay for plans to build the world's largest automated drone superhighway over the next two years which when we think about the crossrail timing, I'm thinking is a little bit optimistic. Now these drones are gonna be used on the Skyway project. 164 miles connecting multiple towns and cities, including most significantly Cambridge and Rugby. Basically a corridor between the Midlands and the Southeast, which obviously is the same uh, market as HS2, funnily enough. Good point. Another thing that uh, we're maybe thinking will go on longer than intended. There's also plans to use drones in other projects in the UK, delivering mail to the Isles of Scilly, where it's a little bit harder for your postie to get his rowboat, and getting medication across Scotland. And this is sort of, as an umbrella view, part of the UK's £273 million investment in innovative, environmentally friendly aerospace projects, which will also include solar-powered aircraft. Very exciting. And Mr Kwasi Kwarteng announced this news at the Farnborough International Air Show recently, where some of you might have seen the fetching video of our former, current, transition Prime Minister Boris Johnson in a fighter jet. Absolutely. In terms of the future, it seems like we'll all have to be on the lookout for increased trials of drone transportation systems in the private and public sector. There are existing or planned trials by the NHS, Royal Mail and Skyport to deliver things like chemotherapy drugs, mail and school meals. Wow, we really flew through that one. Ordinarily, I would cut that, but out of sheer respect for the dab joke, it must be. <laughs> <laughs> now, Dan, in order to prove ourselves the real oracles of tech, let's move on to something that we predicted about three months ago. And that would be Netflix adding a new ad tier with Microsoft as its partner. In our very first pilot episode featuring the lovely Danelle, we predicted that they would in fact go ahead and announce this as they did last week. And this means that Microsoft are gonna become the streaming company's technology and sales partner. And according to the Wall Street Journal, Netflix chose Microsoft over Comcast and Google, who were also going for this deal, because Microsoft doesn't have a video service of its own that competes with Netflix. Which as the tech industry kind of conglomerates into one big blob, we might see how companies are trying trying to elbow each other out of specific competitive spaces when they can't compete in others. You know, when you're Netflix, you don't want Google muscling in on your business. Makes sense. Yeah, exactly. And this comes in the wake of Microsoft acquiring Xander from AT&T, which is an ad tech company that hopes to build technology for a post-cookie world. So it's important to look out and see, you know, are we seeing a new era for Microsoft working to tap into this huge amount of money in ads? Now businesses are looking to deal with GDPR and other cookie damping laws. The thing to watch out for here is how this will affect Netflix's market share and subscriber numbers, especially in the next quarterly reports. We might see an uptick as new users flock to free tiers, but also there's a worry that the quality of paid tiers may worsen over time, which may lead to an overall decline. According to Netflix, 100 million people use the service without paying. 
The very fact they left it this long shows they must be worried about losing their subscriber base. They already lost almost a million subscribers in quarter two of this year. And I guess as always, if you want to know what's going to happen to the future of Netflix, tune in to Wavelength, your Netflix Nostradamus. <laughs> exactly. And for the final little segment of our show this week, we've seen some beautiful images emerge from the new James Webb telescope, absolutely blowing the Hubble telescope out of the water. And if by some miracle you haven't seen these photos, check out the link in our show notes. Finally, Apple might be facing down a class action lawsuit for anti-competitive practices in their Apple Pay service, attempting to monopolize tap and pay on iOS. So keep your eyes peeled on more developments on that front. Thank you for joining us today, everyone. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you. If you'd like to see any of our sources or the articles we were looking at, including the research by Sambanova Systems, please find that in our show notes, which will be in the description. It's been great having you on today again, Dan. It's been great being here. Thank you for having me, Dan. It's all right. We know the fans love you. We're just doing what we're asked. Have a good rest of your day, everyone, and we'll see you in a fortnight. Bye, Bye. everyone. That was Wavelength by Resonance. Thank you for tuning in and please join us next time.